Good morning, church. Um, let's start off with the prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, an opportunity to share your word with the congregation. I pray, Father, that these words may be words of encouragement, words that foster oneness, Father, as well. Father, I thank you for the body. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who will be sitting in the pews. I thank you for their gifts. I thank you for their commitment to the gospel. And I thank you for their commitment to the community, Father. My prayer is also for the community, Lord. We pray that the community, as they hear about us, that things that they hear may be a sweet aroma and open them up to taking an opportunity to learn more about the gifts and the wonderfulness of Jesus Christ, which greatest in your name. Amen. <clears throat> when I was a child growing up, um, my cousin Dwayne, he and I were more like brothers and cousins. As a matter of fact, from the time I was born until I graduated high school, he and I lived pretty much in the same neighborhood. And there was one thing about Dwayne that was undeniable. He was fleet of feet. He was a fast runner. I remember uh, when I was maybe 9 or 10 and he was 10 or 11, we went to a summer day camp um, at my school. And the camp let us out about noon to go home for lunch. And so on the way home, we decided that we wanted to take a shortcut, as we called it. And, and basically all we were doing is that we was coming off our regular path and, and walking through some an apartment complex. And when we got to, I guess it was a breezeway between two apartments, I remember right before we stepped into the breezeway on the side of my cousin were these cardboard boxes. They were flat, but they were stacked, you know, like uh, these flat boxes. And I don't know why I noticed that, but right after me noticing that and right as I walked just slightly ahead where those boxes were stacked, there was a dog that ran from underneath it and began to chase us. And the next thing I remember thinking is that I'm running faster than my cousin Dwayne. Luckily, we, we left there relatively unscathed. And, but a lesson there, fear is a great motivator. But sometimes fear is not real. It's more imaginary, right? But there are times when fear is very real, but once we embrace that thing that we are fearing and begin to work through it, it can become beneficial. I'll give you an example. Um, let's think about the time that maybe a husband and a wife are having a discussion about the wife's mother moving in. And the, the husband says, okay, given her circumstances, I know this is the best place for her, so let's take her in. But there's a part of him that had this fear that his house is going to be turned topsy-turvy. It's not going to be the same. Lo and behold, she adds so much to the home that he can't imagine life without. Then there's that other, that third kind of thing that we fear. It's probably the most hideous of all. It's the one that if we leave it alone, it will swallow us up. And it's also that if we try to address it and deal with it, it still might swallow us up. Now, originally when, when Jeff asked me to speak um, this morning, one of the things that I was thinking about, and I thought about it for a long time, and I was so sure it was going to be my subject matter, was families and COVID. How families 
dealing with COVID? How, how can we help them work through this, this COVID? Not just these household families, but us as a community of believers in, in COVID. How do, we, how do we re-engage with one another? How do we assist each other through this transition? And as I thought up some more specifically about um, the traditional family, I thought about families with children and those children who were doing virtual learning and how in some of those households you also had a parent or two that was working from home and they were trying to do what they're obligated to do for their employer at the same time be a teacher to their children. Um, and even had some households where maybe one of the uh, parents decided that they could not work and also provide the proper education for their child. So they, they, they took a leave of absence or they left their job so that they can help their children through this time of COVID. And then unfortunately you had those situations to where people who were just uh, displaced from work. And so there's an array of different things that are going on around COVID that really needed our attention. Just recently, I learned over a survey of college students. Some, on some level, we think they're kind of the most resilient piece of our population in some ways. But those who responded to the survey, 60% of them said over the last year plus, they've experienced some level of depression. So, so this is a very important subject. This is a very something that needs our attention. Um, but right now, I decided that I need to transition and talk about something else. But families are really critical. We need to give that all the attention that it needs so we can make sure that families are healthy and strong. So what I want to talk about is something that I don't really understand, quite frankly, is how is something as simple as this piece of paper, this wire, and these elastic can be so divisive sometimes, not only out in our society, but unfortunately sometimes even in our church, um, mass. And I, I want to share some things. My, my, my hope is I don't want to get into um, why this has become so divisive. I would much rather talk about how we as a church need me to how we can make sure that we as a church are, are not falling into this trap. And I would like to read a scripture, and the, the central character in this scripture is John the Baptist. Uh, and we're going to pull some things out of there, some lessons learned from you know, John the Baptist, maybe help us a little bit in terms of what we're dealing with. And, and also, maybe look at a little bit of his life, broader part of his life that's that's not even mentioned in this scripture. So uh, I'll read John 3, 25 through 30. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciple and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourself are my witnesses. And I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has a bride is the bridegroom. The friends of the bridegroom who stand and hear him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase and I must decrease. Now, just a couple observations about John in this passage in particular, one of the things that we can observe about John, he had disciples. 
you had students. He and his disciples were baptizing people. So their movement was growing. It was successful. So John had some influence in the community. As a matter of fact, um, he had significant influence because when Herod heard about some of the things that John was saying, about him in particular, in, his, in, in terms of what Herod did, in terms of taking his brother Philip's wife, John spoke out against that. And Herod knew of John's influence, so he, to, to silence John, he arrested him. Now, one thing about John, he knew his place. He didn't overinflate the value of his importance. Now, the other thing I want to kind of point out here about John is that when his followers asked, to whom shall we serve, this is what John said. When his disciple asked about this new guy named Jesus baptizing people, he told them, I am doing what I'm doing because of him. He is the Messiah. Follow him. He pointed his followers to Jesus. Now, he also help his followers to understand the purpose of what they're doing and, and how to find joy in what they're doing. He, he said, joy is not found in self-fulfillment, but spending time with the bridegroom. In other words, it's not about me. It's about him. The kingdom is bigger than midnight crossing, midnight crossing. God's work will be done with or without us. As I think about the triumphant entry and when um, Jesus was entering uh, Jerusalem, they, they were saying praises, singing praises to him, Hosanna, the, the highest. And the Pharisees said to, to Jesus, listen to your disciples. They speak blasphemy, quiet them. And Jesus said, if they don't, the stones will cry out. And basically what Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's talking about literally the stones will cry out, but Jesus is saying that what God's will, it will be done. The world is watching. We know that some may lose interest in our message because of the current trends in popular culture. But what we don't want to happen is for the world to lose interest because of our behavior towards one another. John 13, 35 says, they will know his disciples by how we love each other. We need to love each other. So, Earlier this week, I had a doctor's appointment, and I um, was been having some issues with my back. My, my back. The, the doctor uh, required me to have an MRI done about two or three weeks before the appointment. And so when I got to his office, for whatever reason, he had not looked at the MRI. I don't understand that, but that's a whole another different issue. But so he pulled the MRI up on his computer screen and he began to examine and analyze and diagnose my condition at the, you know, by looking at not only the, the, what he saw in the MRI, 
but based on the examination he did on me. And um, he began to say things like, hmm, this is not good. This is not good. And so I, so I asked, I said, well, what can I do? What, what, what do I need to do? He said, I'm not finished diagnosing you yet. I want to make sure you understand the seriousness of your condition. He said, the goal is to avoid surgery. That, too, is our goal, is to avoid surgery, in particular spiritual surgery from the Lord God. So the question becomes, what can we do? What should we do? I, I do have some four things I would like to offer up. I think a good place to start is with just having dialogue honest dialogue, but make sure it's sprinkled with gentleness. Because honesty without gentleness sometimes can be perceived rather harshly. So I think it's very important that we have honest dialogue with one another. I, I uh, remember hearing a recent interview of someone that had interviewed the great basketball, basketball player Bill Russell. He's considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He was born in 1934, I believe, and his playing career spanned 13 years between 1956 and 1969. Of those 13 years, his team won a phenomenal 11 championships. Just to put that in perspective, throughout the story history of the St. Louis Cardinals, I believe we won maybe 12. And he was an all-star, 12 of those 13 years. So in this interview, the interviewer asked him, he said, what advice, Mr. Russell, would you give a young athlete? The interviewer said that he stroked his gray beard for a few minutes and, and thought, and he said, be kind. Be kind. So in addition to having honest gentle, kind dialogue with one another. We need to listen and hear with grace, not judgment. And, and I love that that's being demonstrated right now. Um, some of you probably heard about the Be the, Bri the, Be the Bridge group. And uh, that group has expanded now to Color of Compromise. And, and that's the group that's work, working on racial reconciliation. And that's not what I'm talking about right now. But that's a very important subject that we need to address. And I'm so happy that we are beginning to address it as a congregation. So I think the model that they're using is that they're listening and hearing with grace, not judgment. That's one lesson I think we can learn from that group. And that's one thing that I think will help us as we transition from this COVID period back to a healthy body. The other thing I want to mention, brothers and sisters, is just to do. Do whatever you can to foster oneness. <laughs> the final thing that I think uh, that we need to talk about, and I think is extremely important, is spending time praying together. Uh, Wole and Bose are our prayer warriors, and 
for many years have labored to keep us focused on prayer, and they spend time here in the church building on Saturday mornings praying with those who want to come in and praying for the church and praying for ministries, praying for families, just praying together. And so I think it's very important that we spend time praying together. One of the things that James tells us in James 5, 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins one to the other. Last week, um, my, my niece called us and said, hey, um, I'm going to be part of the worship team here in California, and, and uh, would love if you guys can tune in and, and participate in our worship service. And so we said, yeah, we'll do that, especially, you know, there are two hours difference in time. And so after we um, uh, worship here, uh, we tuned in to the niece worship service, did a great job, loved it. She's a very talented uh, musician and singer. And one of the things that they did in that service is um, they had a sinner's prayer. And I said, whoa, that's powerful. And I called her and I asked if I can get a copy of that prayer. And it, it wasn't available anywhere in print or online. So I just decided to write something for us. And I'd like to end today with that. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner and have done many things that haven't pleased you. I have knowingly disobeyed your will for my life and chosen to make it about me. I do not fully understand what I do, but I do fully understand I need not to do that very thing. But what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I do not carry it out. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. It is this sinful nature that I have given permission to live within me that continues to do the thing I'll now need to ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin. By doing so, you did what I could not do for myself. I come to you now and ask you to help me to submit my will to yours. From this day forward, help me to live every day for you and in ways that pleases you. I pray that my mind, body, and soul become a living testament of the agape love you have given me and the return of love I have for you. I thank you for rescuing me from a life of sin and eternal damnation. I pray all these things in your glorious name. Amen. And in addition to that prayer, I just want to encourage the body to seek and find ways to foster oneness. Amen.